Hi, everyone. It's your host, Mariah E. Gates, and this is another episode of Prog Save America, a podcast about all things prog rock, Bob Dylan, and the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen. If you've listened before, you know that in every episode, I'm joined by a guest who shares a passion for at least one of these things. This week, I'm joined by my old coworker, Alex Bowe, who is an entertainment editor, and we will be talking about late ELO and the solo career of Jeff Lynne. Hi, Alex. Hi, Mariah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'm really glad you wanted to do this because one of my strongest memories from when we worked together was when you saw Jeff Lynn. I actually talked about this in the other ELO episode, and I didn't go, and then you were like, it was great. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> I missed mm-hmm. out. Um, so I always think of you when I see Jeff Lynn's name. There you go. Wait, 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 wait. No, I didn't. I never, I never seen Jeff Lynne live. Did you not see him live? Who saw them live? I saw, then? I, saw, I, saw, I saw Mike McDonald live. What? Yeah, Mike McDonald. Am I misremembering this entire story? I think so. Somebody saw Jeff Lynne live. I would like to see Jeff Lynne live. I thought it was you. Was it? Hmm. Well, now I have to like redo that whole previous episode because I thought it was you the whole time. <laughs> what are we even doing here? I uh, don't know. <laughs> how was it not you? Right? Yeah, no, right. You knew someone who would. I remember when ELO was touring. Um, like, like five four... or six years ago. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I really want to go. And no one wanted to go. Okay, like, maybe the story is that you talked about wanting to go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. And we should have gone. Maybe that's what yeah, the story was. I think that was it. That's probably friends that's are not, like, as, not as good of a story. <laughs> my friends were like, oh, I've been burned by these old acts. I was like, well, when is this going to happen again? Come on. That's exactly why I've never seen Bob Dylan. So I am now the friend that I was complaining about with the Bob Dylan, only with you and ELO. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, now that that's been cleared up, sort of, um, do you remember when you first sort of heard ELO and or Jeff Lynn and knew what you were listening to? Yeah, I think uh, I was aware of the name. And also, I think I was aware that, you know, they were so like in the 90s. They were kind of pretty old hat. And also that there was an ELO part two. I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds pretentious. <laughs> but I think the first time I really kind of paid attention to ELO and who they were was um, in the early 2000s. Volkswagens had that sort of... Um, Commercial, yes. yeah. What did that's you do? How I, that's how I discovered them as well. Yeah, so they did. You know, uh, Nick Drake's "Pink Moon" was the first one, and that like you know set off this whole. And then I think another one was "Mr. Um, Roboto" by Sticks, and mm, that one yes. had that one had Tony Hale doing the you know his robot thing in, in an empty parking lot. Um, and then there was the yeah, Mr. Blue Sky was one of them, and that one was about you know. It was about a guy who's like going through like his cubicle doldrums, getting up in every day, puts on a suit, da, 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 you know, to the of Mr. Blue Sky. And then he's like walking. And at the end, he's like walking on this um, suspension bridge, I think, or he's in like his office, whatever. He's looking outside and he sees this VW, you know, and then the, uh, and then, you know, uh, yeah, Mr. Blue Sky going, ah, 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 and, and I was like, it was, uh, I've never seen anything really kind of, a song kind of put so well into a commercial like that before, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, that campaign like a turning point. Mm-hmm. That campaign was really good at like making all of these sort of not oh god. Hmm. <laughs> that was some fireworks. Really? Oh yeah. I think oh, it's really. right out. I don't know why there's fireworks. I yeah, I get that. Um, that's crazy. Those commercials did a really good job of making songs and people who hadn't really gotten their due in their time or had maybe fallen away from popular, you know, discourse and made them really cool again. It was, like, it, was it was a turning point because, you know, the 90s was so much about like, no, I'm not going to sell out, man. Da, da. And I'm sure people were uh, upset that, wow, how can you use this Nick Drake song to, you know, <laughs> get people to buy cars. I'm like, well, if you look at the story, it's like a really sad story, you know? Yeah. Um, I think he would have been pretty happy to have found uh, an audience in that way, you know, or have people actually listen to his music. I um, think so. I, I would agree with that. I feel like there's kind of a difference when it's, I mean, I don't know how I feel about selling out altogether. It's a whole, that's a whole philosophical conversation altogether because you need to eat 
right? Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like there's definitely a big difference between like if um, Kurt Cobain was like selling cars, right, while he was still right. alive, and then like Nick Drake finally getting a fan base. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, so like, I mean, I mean, I think around that time I was working at Mervin's, which is a oh yes, defunct, yeah, California retail store, kind of like Kohl's. My mom um, had a my mom had a card at Mervin's. That's where we shopped because nice. we had credit. Yeah, I, I was one of those, <laughs> one of those dudes going. You want to open a Mervin's credit? Um, but yeah. after, yeah, um, you know, afterwards we would clean up the store and like you know, Mister Blue Sky would come on, and I kind of attached that along with like Admiral Halsey, that Paul McCartney song, which like those really long mm. narrative driven songs. But like, you know, like. I was like, wow, I think I like Mr. Blue Sky, but I knew I knew it wasn't cool to like ELO, you know, and and so it took a while for me to sort of kind of come around to that. Um, like, <clears throat> like if you remember, like I before that, I remember watching uh, Deuce Bigelow. Did you ever see Deuce Bigelow? Oh, I saw Deuce Bigelow, American Gigolo. You better believe it more than yeah, once. Yeah, yeah, it's real. It's real hard to enjoy those memories <laughs> with. <laughs> Rob Schneider today, but I yeah, right. really loved both those movies when I was yeah. They were like, they were actually a really sweet movie. They're, they're funny, and yeah. yes, a lot. They're like gross out with a heart. Yeah, yeah. I remember like watching. Um, so at the you know the Day Ma, uh, just big low, uh, the first <laughs> one they use a Jeff Lynne song called uh, "Lift Me Up." You know, um, so that was the first time, probably even before I knew who, what. I, I didn't even know like who Jeff Lynne was, but like that was probably my first experience with uh, ELO. Um, and what's funny is that also in Happy Gilmore, you know, there's that scene, uh, not Happy Gilmore, in Billy Madison. Yes. Where, you know, he's call, he calls Steve Buscemi, he's like, I'm really sorry for being a jerk. And like, you know, Steve Buscemi like, has that that uh, that checklist and he lies back, he's listening to like telephone line. Just to kind of prove like uh, how weird he is. I was like, I guess someone at Happy Madison really liked ELO, but couldn't admit it. Yeah, I, I remember that that scene. It's probably the first time I heard, really remember hearing Yellow, now that I'm thinking about it, was that movie. But I don't know that it registered. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I yeah. think it was one of those ones where when I rewatched the movie, I was like, wait a minute, this is where I heard Yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, telephone Line being my favorite of the sort of 70s Yellow. I, I think it's their best song. It's, it's a good it's song. so good. Um, it goes really hard that song. Yeah, I, I think you know as, as you guys kind of talked about it in, in the previous ELO podcast, but like you know this is like a sort of kind of an uncool band, um, <laughs> and that, that critics yeah. that you know, that critics did not like, um, and it was, it was almost like you know, and you were so kind of in the nineties and early two thousands, you were so into like your image or like you know, oh this you know it's like you know how like uh, Stewart and Beavis and Butthead had the winger shirt and like it totally just fucked up uh, wingers uh uh status in the rock world it's like yeah it was almost like you had it was like seeing yellow embrace now it's like you almost had to like invest in yellow like you knew it was not cool but you know obviously there's something really emotive and clean and crystal clear about yellow that you just kind of had to hold on until you know the internet came around and everybody you know everybody became uh culturally omnivorous as you guys said last week I, I feel I feel that about a lot of the stuff I liked when I was an uncool teen. Um, and to some extent, I think part of how I've been able to to like reclaim the coolness was on Tumblr ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very popular Tumblr and it was mostly followed by I was like in my early twenties, you know, fl- drifting as you do. And it was followed by a lot of teenagers and I feel like I helped like a whole generation of teenagers like find classic movies and love yeah. old old music and <laughs> that that's one of the magical things I think about, that came out of the internet was that ability to really share stuff and then and then I think we talked about this a little bit on the previous one was I also find that like Spotify in the last decade has really helped um, lots of artists get discovered. I've discovered mm-hmm. artists because of Spotify. I know that they are horrible in the way that they pay artists. And I always, if I really love something, then I buy it on vinyl usually to try to support the, art, the artist. But um, I have found more things by listening to like playlists that Spotify has made for me based on other things that I've listened to than probably any 
other part of my life other than like when I was really into Cameron Crowe movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, I listen. I don't. I don't have Spotify, but I listen. Most, I find my most of my music through uh, YouTube, and it's like the algorithm. YouTube you know? does it too. That's how I found Albert Hammond. Mm. Was um, I was listening to the Hollies version of um, the air that I breathe, and then mm-hmm. the algorithm on YouTube suggested the Albert Hammond version, which is the original version because he wrote the song. And I was like, wait a minute, who is this? And now I have almost every one of his albums on vinyl. So way to go, YouTube. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, Even today, I just found out about a new thing. Have you heard of Bardcore? No. But Bard? I feel like that's, I feel like that kind of is adjacent to um, the whales. That Was it the whaling sea shanties that, that were really big last summer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think, okay, yeah, was that last year? Yeah, it's the same thing where you take sort of like these medieval and like 15th century instruments and then you record, record like uh, covers of 80s and 90s songs. That's you amazing. Know? Yeah. I definitely need to find Bardcore. Yeah, I got like, I have like some Daft Punk covers now. Um, this, was, this was from this morning, you know, with the algorithm. I mean, after this, I'm having friends over to play. Catan, and that's like perfect music. It's uh, the perfect music for that game. Wow. Yeah, and like, you know, and like again, like that's the that's the algorithm. That's like the cultural omnivorousness. Like, I was, you know, I read a medium. Like, it's still a re- really new genre. Even people in the comments are like, what do we call this? Some people call it a, a tavern wave. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, yeah. I liked I like tavern wave. Yeah. So they wrote, you know, and there was a, um, and like this really just popped up. This really just like in July of last year. And, you know, one of the prime people in it, they're like, you know, it's like everybody's bored, everybody's trying to be more creative. And, like, there are jokes like, oh, you know, a lot of the YouTube comment jokes are like, you know, oh, about the Black Plague. Obviously, we were living through a pandemic. But, like, it's interesting. Like, I, I got into, like, classical, finally, <laughs> over the quarantine. Um, I've always been trying. I was like, do I not have the capacity to listen to this? And I, I got into it because I just wanted to get out of this era you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah and like even like going back to like i mean like even just listening to like you know like 50s stuff i was like well they had a they had the uh they had a, they had the, the pandemic in the early 1900s i, I want to go to like a pre you know pre-pandemic era and like so i found it through like um classical music i was like oh finally so and i think so i think in the same way that's for where bardcore is coming from yeah that makes a lot of sense I'm going to have to look look this up. I also feel I must send it to my brother who almost completely listens to covers and nothing else. Um, <laughs> that is that is all he likes is covers, cover covers. versions. He's probably heard more cover versions of songs than actual songs. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that's his that's his that's thing. thing. And yeah, he sometimes he'll send them to me. Sometimes, you know, it'll be years, and then finally he'll be like, "Oh, you're visiting. I have to play you these ten covers." <laughs> and I'm like, you know, you can send them to me of affording them but he's not the most tech savvy person in the world um okay so speaking of tech savvy getting into sort of this later era of ELO we kind of in the early episode covered the really frog era yeah um yeah in the 70s and how they became what they became but in the 80s you started to see this sort of mixture of what was popular in 80s music but mixed with their penchant for sci-fi right um do you want to talk a bit about that era yeah like you know obviously i mean yellow was always pretty sci-fi tinged with their spaceship logo but i think the you know 1980 was xanadu um i had heard the soundtrack before i heard like the yellow songs i never listened to olivia newton john one but when i saw the movie um i was like oh this is some of the Olivia Newton John songs are pretty good here. Um, so, and then in 1981, they had their concept album, Time, which is one of my favorite albums ever. And it's about a, a guy in 1982 gets transported into the future, about 2095 ish, and he's just like sad. <laughs> I think the, uh, I think what's so interesting about that is like, it's kind of a, I think, I think why it kind of didn't work or why to connect with audiences is that it's kind of like a, a downbeat album. Like, you don't feel bad listening to it, but it's about a guy going to the future and he's not having a good time, you know? And so I think that kind of really uh, sort of deeply affected it. And you also, I think at the time, you were also, you were also like getting rid of all the strings in uh, ELO. So yep. that was kind of jarring. Um, 
but what's you know what's kind of amazing about it is the way it still it resonates now you know um like it's because you're always i mean i think i don't know if i'd be cynical but like you know because they sort it's a sort of sad album you kind of take it into the future it's about like you know you know, being isolated in the future. So, which is a, yeah, it's a great album. Yeah, I, I do think that the the themes of isolation in that film really fit the 80s, but they also really fit now. I, I think um, the 80s was sort of sociologically looked at one of the most sort of sprawling decades, right? And yeah. And the rise of city culture. And I think internet culture has sort of, become the same kind of thing that was happening in the 80s where people um live their entire lives connecting to people kind of like we are right now over the, over a computer um without seeing anybody and even before the pandemic you know human contact ha- has been getting more and more scarce um and i think that's why an album like time really you know not to not to be cliche but it was really timeless because mm-hmm. that, those themes just keep happening and it's it's you know, it's the human condition, I think, to always feel a bit, a bit yeah. isolated. Um, but we're making it worse and worse as we, like, destroy all our city centers and communal mm-hmm. gathering places. And you know, what, what, what I also like about time is that it doesn't have... So in researching it, I was like, oh, this is, this is actually a double album, or originally going to be a double album. So there's, you know... Uh, so, you know, my guy goes in the future, he's, like, trying to write back in time, he misses this girl... Um, and then this kind of this kind of ends, right? And then there's some bonus tracks you can listen to, which actually close the story. Uh, one song is called "Julie Doesn't Live Here," and so he actually somehow makes it back in time, goes back to Julie, and they're like, "Oh, she's moved away a long time ago." You know, it's like, "Oh, well, that's a that's a bummer." You know, I it's I think one of the reasons why time works so well, it, you know, it reminds me of like you know, like, like 2001 or Space Odyssey, or even like Flaming Lips. Uh, Yoshimi Battles of Pink Robots, where it I starts. Love, I love that so much. Yeah, it's you know it starts at something very specific, you know, to the other one, you know, the the Space Odyssey, and then uh, Flaming Lips, Yoshimi Battles of Pink Robots is like about her fighting robots, and then these kind of by the end of the album, just it's just kind of like kind of kind of peters out. It's just kind of cool and ambient. There's no real close ending to it. Um, so it's in the same way, like when you watch like 2010 and you were made contact, which explains all of 2001. You're like, well, I didn't. I think didn't need that. Um, like the mystery or the unresolved, the unre- unresolution of it is what makes it great. Also, kind of like you know this. Um, uh, you can call me Al by Paul Simon. You yeah. know, this guy you know having his midlife crisis and like the final verse is about him, you know, angels and architecture and kind of floating off. You're like, I'm not sure what happened there, but it sounded nice. Um, so it's good that time that they were with time they were forced to go to a single album um, because having having a close ending to that story i think would have been a disservice um I will, and say, I will say though that i am a big fan of aspects of 2010 um in that i love how much more you get with ha- with how 9000 mm-hmm. um i wrote a whole i wrote a whole essay on my blog about 10 years ago about how it was when i saw the movie about how um which i think was actually 2010 wow blowing up my own mind mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I just liked how melancholic it was when you really find out, I think it's Bob Balaban, like finds out Hal's real story and everything mm-hmm. and how he, he, capitalism turned him into this like killing machine. And you're yeah. like, oh man, that aspect of 2010, I think really works. I don't know that the rest of the movie works, but that broke, that part broke my heart. Yeah. Like the, the, that era of like, you know, having sympathy for robots, like it comes like short circuit, you know? Yeah. You're like, oh, poor guy. He was just confused. Because they're all programmed. They're programmed by humans. And Mm -hmm. humans always fuck up the purity that the robots could be. That's my take, anyways. (laughs) So, before, uh, you know, before time, uh, there was a, one of the ELL side projects was called Violinsky. And that's with uh, Mick Kaminsky, who's a violinist in that one, and then a prog guy named Mike the Albuquerque. Anyways, in 1979, they had uh, their first album called No Cause for Alarm. And it's like on the cover, it was like this dude looking into like um, into a, a hospital room with a bunch of babies. And like the woman's holding like 
one and like the nurse is holding like a a, a blue blue violin and a bassinet. It's such a ridiculous cover. Uh, and they had they were a one hit wonder. They had a song called Clog Dance that charted on the UK. But they made one more album in nineteen eighty called Bio, you know, called Stop Cloning About, which is actually better than the first one. The first, like the first album's not that great. Um, but I, I looked at what cloning about means, and I can't find anything. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I just. I kind of. I imagine like it's what they were telling Jeff Lynne to stop doing before he got sent to the future. It's like, Jeff, you got to stop cloning about in your science lab, or something bad's gonna happen. And then boom, he gets sent. Oh, this album cover for "Stop Cloning About" is amazing. Yeah. Wow. Look at the guy. <laughs> I can't tell if the guy is excited or shocked. He's like, "Yes, I finally have my blue baby violin." It's really intense. Yeah. Okay, I've never heard of Violinsky. I'm gonna have to like listen. Um. Yeah, I think the second album is actually a lot stronger than the first one. And then okay. Claude Claude Dancer hit is actually a, a um, instrumental. So. I'm excited to to listen to that. I I love finding really obscure new things that yeah. I've never heard of before. I mean, we, we can talk about uh, Xanadu right here now that we're in the 1980s. Yeah. So Xanadu, I love. I saw it. Um, I was doing a, a challenge probably also maybe nine or 10 years ago um, with a friend of mine, Amy, who we were trying to watch, see who could watch through the alphabet first. <laughs> um, and then whoever lost had to watch the worst movie that the other person had ever seen. Unfortunately, I lost. I had to see a really terrible movie and I bring it up all the time because um, it was really horrible. But this is how I got to Xanadu and I had always heard that it wasn't great. And the thing is, it's not great, but no. it's not terrible either. I think it has more aspects that are amazing in terms of like its style than things that are bad. I just think the director doesn't know how to shoot a musical. Is no the right? They were really, yeah, like that was probably it was not very exciting uh, dancing. What you know? Yeah, right. I, I would not call it a good movie. But it's bad in really eclectic ways. Yes, and you know, aesthetically it, incredibly pleasing. Yeah, like yeah. Um, I mean, like so. One song I really liked was "Suspended in Time" by Olivia Newton-John, um, where she's just like, you know, she's like in that laser room, you know, after Zeus is like, no, yeah. you, you can't, and like it's just the full song, and her just standing there, is like in like this on like this grid of laser. I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. And then you know, I'm, I'm sure I've heard Xandy before, like the actual song, but like when Ashley plays in the um when you have to get to the club and it plays like this song jams this is a great song it really is it it like i have the soundtrack on vinyl and it's mm. definitely one that i like to put on when i want to sort of get pumped up because the song most of the songs are really like they're snappy <clears throat> yeah you know, I think the movie should have ended on Xanadu, but, like, she plays Xanadu, and then she goes through, like, this whole costume change, you know, yeah. like, for, like, five more minutes, yeah. like, ah, oh, man. It's like, so, again, like, great song, and then just really poorly placed. Just... The, the movie really, I feel like somewhere along the line in the production, they had a good movie, and then they made a couple of unfortunate choices, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the final product is not what it could have been. So then, yeah, after that, so, you know, they made Time in 1981, and then in 83, they made Secret Messages. Uh, have you heard that one? Yes, that one I've heard. That's a good one. Yeah, well, so in, in going back to it, I didn't realize it was actually a, it was really supposed to be a double album. So I feel, I feel like that happens a lot with, with Prague, where they're, like, planning to do a double album, and then something goes wrong in the production, Mm -hmm. and it ends up like or the studio or whoever is like we, we, we can't we can't do this we can't yeah right <laughs> just let them do what they want they know what they're doing yeah i'm sure definitely was like I, we just i just did uh we just did out of the blue best-selling album ever like what's going on um so like actually so see so you know after i became aware of elo and then you know, i was going to like you know thrift stores a lot around the south bay and i was like oh i should get some cassettes for my you know, my 95 uh, Acura Legend, <laughs> and so the first ELO album I got was a New World, a New World record. Um, yes, and I was like, "Whoa, this is good." I can't play it loud because then people will hear me. But this is actually really good. And then the second, and then the second one I bought was uh, Secret Messages. Um, 
And I haven't only I only heard it in like my car speaker. So, so you, you had know, this on cassette tape? On cassette tape, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um I did like, you know, like three or four of the songs. I was like, yeah, I'll just play it over and over. Um but then, you know, in researching for this, I was like, oh wow. They sort of in, in twenty eighteen they re- released a thirty fifth anniversary for secret messages and they had it back in the original sequence. So I always thought like Secret Message was a kind of a, a middling record, but now they add like almost double the songs. Um, and I'm not gonna say they're all great, but Secret Message now sort of has like this sort of shape to it now, uh, which I think it didn't have before. And then there's a build, there's a song on it called Buildings Have Eyes, which is a really cool song. But like, yeah, all those songs actually did exist. Um, there was a compilation that came out in 1991, I think, called Afterglow. So, like, <laughs> all the stuff that's left off time, all the stuff that's left off um, secret messages, like, they're, they've always been there. So, like, this 35th anniversary thing wasn't, like, uncovering, like, hidden tracks. They've always been around. But, you know, getting to hear it how it was supposed to be, uh, that was a fun trip for sure. And and so on this album, this is the one where they use backmasking to add mm-hmm. actual hidden messages for uh, listeners who, who don't know, this was like during the satanic panic and there were lots of, you know, rumors about hidden hidden messages in your TV shows and the commercials and music and rock music in particular was targeted for having satanic, hidden satanic messages. And for some reason, yellow was one of the ones often brought up with allegations <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, really? They have the yeah. nicest name. Like, they're just yeah, they're just a light orchestra. Leave them alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, but I'm they just... were actually, you know, they were uh, messengers for Satan. So yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, in the flesh. Um, so like, I think around this time is probably when Jeff Lynn was like, "All right, I don't want to do ELO anymore." Because like, everybody's clown. I mean, like you know, Xandy was a you know commercially the album was a big success, you know, but. I mean, it's pretty pretty intense considering like it was like kind of a disco album, but kind of like disco's last hurrah, I guess. Yeah, it's one um, of the last grasps of disco, I think. Yeah, I think you know, Magic went number one on Billboard. I think there were two more disco songs after that. I think a Diana Ross song and Starts on Forty Five, the disco medley. I think after that, that put like the final nail in the coffin. Um, so I'm guessing like you know, and then like Time, you know, Time was a cool album, but you know, I don't think it sold that well. And I guess at this point, Jeff Lynne was like, man, I kind of want to get out ELO. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, he was, everybody's clowning on it. So then, and then they did, in the year after Secret Messages, he did a video. He had a single called Video for a movie called Electric Dreams. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, so I have. I kind of uh, love this movie. I, one, Electric Dreams is great. Yeah. Um, it's very just about Electric bizarre Dreams. movie. And then two, I actually have vi- a 45 of video. Um, because I won it at, I don't even know what it was a screening of some screening at the Castro when I was in grad school and I, I knew some trivia. I, this is like a terrible story because I don't remember the details at all, but I'm assuming it must've been now that I'm looking at the date, it's 1984. They did like a 1984 night. Um, and I, I think this must've been during the, what's that Mickey Rourke movie with, um, Eric Roberts where he lost his thumb. Oh, uh, Popo Greenwich Village? Yes. Okay, so Popo Greenwich Village. Um, there, there was some trivia question about Geraldine. Um, what is her name? Geraldine, not Geraldine Chaplin. Uh, Paige? Paige, thank you. Yeah. And I was the only one in the audience of like a thousand people who knew the answer of whatever this question was. And the prize, for some reason, was video on 45 because it was from <laughs> 1984. And I was like, what is this? And then, you know, I put it on and I was like, wait a minute. This is, I know what this is. I hadn't seen the movie, but I, I recognize the yellowness of mm-hmm. it. And so that's that's how I discovered Electric Dreams was even a movie, frankly. It was from this, winning that trivia and cool. um, winning this prize, yeah. Yeah, I think video is interesting because, like, if, if time was about, like, being sad about technology, video is, like, embracing technology. It has an exclamation mm-hmm. point in it, you know. Um, so I, I, you know, I think Electric Dream, this, this movie is kind of like, it was really kind of a turning point for him. Um, cause like, it's a movie, it's, it's a movie about, you know, you have like the new way since and coming together with like, you know, classical music. 
you know, and I think, you know, like, you know, Moroder did the score and like that scene with Virginia Madsen is like on her cello and then um, <clears throat> Butt Court is like, you know, playing at the computer. You know, they're doing that, um, that back and forth. It's called The Duel. Like that's such a, it's such a wonderful moment in film. Um, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a good San Francisco movie. I'm surprised they didn't program it. Um for that 1984 fest since that was San Francisco. But I, I'm guessing he probably tried to get a print and couldn't, and that's why he had the 45. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that sounds right. Um, Bud Court plays the computer, very important note, because um, this was like Bud Court had, you know, been so popular in Harold and Maude and then kind of his star waned for a little bit. For a bit, yeah. Yeah. But he, he does a great, like, voice performance in this. He does, yeah. And, like... And like, so the movie ends with uh, the Phil Oakley, George Moroder song in Electric Dreams. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, so the, so I, I feel like Jeff Lynne making video and working on, you know, Electric Dreams, where he's sort of embracing like the electronic side of the 80s, you know? And so like the album that came after that was Balance of Power uh, in 86. And I had known, and that was actually the last ELO album I listened to. I had listened to everything else before that. And it has that reputation, you know, it's like, a, it's sense-driven, there's no strings, you know. It was like contractual, obli- you know, contractually obligated, he had to go do that. Um, yeah. so I, was like, I was like, this must be terrible. But I listened to it, I, I got it a couple of years ago. I listened to it like twice, I think. There's like four like pretty good songs on it, but actually listening to it again, um, it's actually really great because it feels... It doesn't feel cynical, you know. It feels like Jeff Lynne like felt it felt like pretty revived um, after working on video, you know. After deciding like you know what, this ELO stick isn't thing isn't working anymore. And so there's, it's it's a great '80s album. I mean, and, and so many artists made bad '80s albums, but like this is such an '80s album. But I think really retains the spirit of ELO and Jeff Lynne. And like Calling America, uh, I think it was the first single. And like that song, you could play that at the end of. Electric Dreams, kind of like, you know, because like how at the end of Electric Dreams, like, you know, they have the whole, um, the whole phone thing going on, you know? There you go. That, uh... that was an incredibly loud airport. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't even live that near the airport. I don't know what that was about. They know we're recording. Yeah. Um, so then, um, oh, but a year before that, um, there was a snare side project called the Tandy Morgan band. So Richard Tandy, who is sort of like Jeff Lynn's like right-hand man. And one of the touring guys, uh, I think Dave Morgan, they made a concept album called Earth Rise. I think out of all the ELO adjacent projects, like this is probably the most beloved album. I think it got like a 2011 re-release. It's not that great. Um, it's kind of Buggles-ish. I mean that in like, I guess in a bad way. But <laughs> there's a Did song on it. Did Buggles-ish? Yeah. Okay. I, I can picture that. Or I yeah. can, you know hear that in my head but there's a really great song on it called pictures in my pillow which is sort of like this sort of really kind of insular synth song but it has like this really great vocal crescendo thing going on at the end of it so yeah i mean people seem to like the album um but i think the only one i really liked off of it was pictures in my pillow so then and then after so you know after 86 balance of power came out and that's when yellow called us, you know, they were done. Well, Jeff Lynn left. And, but then, you know, all the other members were like, well, we still want to use ELO. So that's where ELO part two came, um, which we had, had uh, was it Bev Bevan and Lewis Clark. So Lewis Clark was the guy who um, arranged and conducted all the strings for ELO. And he passed away, sadly, uh, just this past February. Oh. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, even for this, actually, I, I, before I had not listened to ELO Part Two, um, but decided to go through it at last. Um, what they would do, they would have a bunch of like, they would have different vocalists come in. So it was like a revolving door of vocalists. Um, there's a song called "Honest Men," which is pretty classic ELO. I think that's the best song they ever did. It was their first single, um, but that's a really great song. I don't know that I've ever actually listened to any of the ELO part two music. Yeah. I don't think I have. I don't think so. There's not too much to it. I mean, but 
yeah, this was an honest man. That's that was their first single, and like obviously they continued. You know, they formed ELO Part Two on the um, on the power or the basis of that one single. And then the, their second album is called Moment of Truth. Um, it has like a yellow exploding a light bulb. Well, I think they named it that because they're like, well, if this isn't successful, we're going to stop promoting ELO Part Two in America. Um, and yeah, it was not a great album, and it did not they did not continue. But then Jeff Lynne in, 19, in 1990, when ELO Part Two started, um, that's when he put out his first solo album, mm-hmm. Armchair Theater. And that's the one that has Lift Me Up on it and then another single called Every Little Thing. So I think that's yeah. probably Lynn. I think that's Jeff Lynn's like, I really love Lift Me Up. I think that's a kick-ass song. Yeah, it's a great his, song. I think that's his last great song. Um because then it came back. So then, you know, going back to where we were, you know, when I first heard ELO in 2001, um, they put out another album called Zoom, which was, it was actually absolutely pretty good. But I remember I was sort of, you know, burgeoning as a sort of entertainment pop culture guy. And I had, I remember, I remember at the time, like it was all about Garage Rock revi- Revival, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the Strokes, the Hives, the Vines, and all that. That's all the stuff I was listening to, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Guilty. I yeah, think the very, the very first song I ever illegally downloaded was um, the Vines. Is it Hate, Hate, to, Say, Hate to Say I Told You So? Is that mm-hmm. the Vines? Yeah. It was either that or it was um, the, the whatever that big first song from the Strokes was. Oh. Um, uh, whatever that song was. Well, yeah, you know, like... But that's what that's what I was downloading when you that's know, what in I was 90s, listening to when it took ten minutes or it took, it yeah. took an hour to download ten minutes for the music. You still whatever. you never forget those days. Uh, <laughs> you, you kind of move at that pace. You're like everything in a hurry. I'm like I used to. It took me a day to download four megabytes. Um, you, know, you know, it's what you it's what you had to do. I still have all of those CDs too, like mm-hmm. the burn CDs. Yeah, I had to convince my mom to upgrade her PC to add a burner, and she's like, "Why do I need this?" And I'm like, "Trust me, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I need to illegally steal music from people, so <laughs> put this into your computer." I don't know how I convinced her to do that, honestly. I think you know it wasn't like you know you were. I think we were so into like the image, like you listen to the Strokes and you, you know or Garage Rock Revival, like, oh, I know exactly what they're doing, you know. But even then, like, you know, so ELO represented, like, for me at the time, like, the, the worst part of the 70s, you know, ostentatious and overblown, with, like, you know, strings and all that. And so, um, you know, Zoom was the first ELO album since Bounce and Power. So that was, like, 15 years in between. And I remember, you know, just being aware. And then I remember they canceled the tour because they couldn't sell enough tickets in North America. You know? oh. Yeah. Yeah. And so That's I think, really like, sad. that really informed, oh. you know, I was like, okay, Mr. Blue Sky is that one song. And it's about a sad guy in a, in an office cubicle. And then now they have this, you know, this wild and arty, crazy ELO and they're back, but then it got canceled, you know, because again, like, you know, you're just so like, you know, you're up about the strokes, you know, that sort of particular. Yeah. The, the song was last night. But spelled N I T E. I remember yeah. now. Yes. But yeah, and it's it's funny in that so that way you know um, knowing that ELO is not cool, but just over time, kind of letting go of that you know, getting a new you know, getting a new world record, going like, oh, this is good, but I know <laughs> everyone's gonna clown on me. I'm playing ELO, you know. Um, and so it's yeah, it's really great how ELO has come back in that way. Uh, so then after, so it, that was kind of like it for me for the most of the ELL stuff, you know. Um, in 2012, Jeff Lynne put out a album called Long Wave, which is uh, covers of songs he listened to as a kid. Hmm. Yeah, that's another album I should probably get for my nice. brother. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's nice. Um, and then it came, and then you know he came back in 2015 with Jeff Lynne's ELO. You so know. that's what I thought you had seen, but now I think I misremembered. And what I was actually remembering was you trying to convince the office to go see, <laughs> see it. So the guy we were working with at the time, 
um, we talked a lot about music, you know, and I was like, come on, let's, let's go. <laughs> and yeah, no one, no one would want to go. Um, but yeah, so because ELO part two was going, well, it folded in 1999 and then it became the orchestra. Yeah, I was lo- looking that up before we started and um, I hadn't heard of that either. Yeah, I listened to that. So it's kind of considered like, so in 1999, Bev Bevan, who owned 50% of the ELO name, he was like, okay, well, ELO part two isn't working anymore. I'm just going to sell my ELO rights back to Jeff Lynn. But then, you know, there were still other people like, you know, uh, Lewis Clark, who is, you know, I mentioned he was the string guy. Uh, Mick Kaminsky, who was the violin guy, who was on that violinsky stuff. Um, and then Kelly Grucut, who was the bass player, um, from, let's see, 74 to 83. So he stuck around for the orchestra as well. Um, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, not, not a very good album. Um, I always then, think how, how fascinating it is that some of these, like, bands you know it's an incorporation or whatever and so you own bits to the name so like new order right they go around as new order and they play the new order songs but peter hook left new order and he goes and tours as peter hook and the light but he also gets to play the new order songs um and joy division i don't know if new order plays joy division i know that peter hook does because when i went that's what i really wanted to see and i just i just hadn't really thought of it that way until I was looking up like Peter Hook and how, because I knew New Order was still doing stuff too. And I was like, wait, how's Peter Hook and New Order playing New Order? And then, you know, the like, I guess business of music is <laughs> so far more complicated than I ever mm. really realized. Um, well, and then ELO, ELO to Jeff Lynn's ELO and the orchestra are really, um, really highlighting <laughs> that. How, right yeah, how complicated it gets, right. <laughs> yeah. Like, ELO Part Two, they got they got to go around because Jefflyn got some of the royalties um, from it. But like the orchestra at this point is really, I think they're, they're still going. Um, Kelly Brucut died in two thousand nine. Lewis Clark died in 2021, oh, So I'm not sure now. But the orchestra is still touring. But they didn't really play their they don't really play their original songs. They're, they're at this point essentially a ELO covers band. Um, <laughs> but because the name had been diluted for so long, that's why it now says Jeff Lynn's ELO, and so. That was kind of a surprise return. Like, 2015, the album was called Alone in the Universe. I actually don't like the, the latest ELO albums just because... And so the first song is called When I Was a Boy, which is great. And it feels like a sort of callback to what he just did on... Or what he did on Longwave, where he was, like, you know, doing covers of songs he heard on the Longwave radio as a kid. So When I Was a Boy kind of continues that. My thing is that uh, Jeff Lynne now plays all the uh, instruments, uh, on the albums now and they kind of come out sounding a little like muddy to me um so yeah i, I think you're you know you can't have Je- you can't have elo without jeff lynn but you also gotta have like for me or for me the band element you know um yeah and then yeah, 20- i mean like like when peter hook does the new order stuff he has a band it's not just him they do try to sound like new order but it's like i i do think that you kind of need I don't know. You need that, like that energy that you get from multiple people playing yeah. together. Like it's, it's, it's the difference from like that to like, you know, a letter to you, you know, the recent Springsteen album, which is like so refreshing to hear because it's just like pretty much live with no overdubs. And I'm like, that's what a sort of classic rock and roll album should sound like. I think. Yeah. House of a Thousand Guitars, that song. Uh, it's a great amazing. it's a great album although i will yeah. i will um since this is a springsteen adjacent show i will plug really hard for the live version of western stars i like the album but the like soundtrack for the sh- movie that's recorded live in his barn oh it's amazing it's so much better like nice. all the songs sound more alive and ugh, there is something really magical about just a bunch of musicians together recording together at the same time. It was also you know, also because like that album came out like a couple like a couple of weeks before the election, and I was such a mess, you know. Um, but hearing 
hearing Bruce Springsteen sort of address that directly, you know, even in a song like, you know, House of a Thousand Guitars, even though I didn't know what the future was going to hold, like having that there was really, really helpful. I do. Yeah, I do think I listened to that album a bunch leading into the election and the the movie came out. Was it right after? Because that was December when the movie came out. Yeah, that was it was interesting. Interesting fall. <laughs> yeah, right. a lot was happening. I mean, like I'm a yeah, like I was a I'm a 49ers fan, so like we had gone to the Super Bowl and like I was like, all right, sports help me get me through this, and we just had an awful season. It was yeah. So going into uh, a letter, a letter to you, um, he, I was he there. Announced, he announced the album the day my grandfather died. It uh, was like right. it was a real bad. Yeah, I mean, I talked about this in one, another episode. It was a real bad, like, morning, obviously. And then, you know, I'm check. I get a, a text from a friend who's like, "New Springsteen," and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "Like Bruce knew that I needed right. this." And then, um, you know, the day that he announced, he dropped a bunch of interviews, and they were all about how the album is kind of about dealing with people who die. Mm-hmm. And so, mostly people sent them to me, and they were like, "Maybe read this." when you're a little less sad because mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's really about mortality. And I'm like, <laughs> right, right. but um, the album really came through and, and I feel like it was what we really needed just as a, on a macro level and then on a micro level at that yeah. time. Totally Chris agree. Knew. Totally agree. Well, I think that's, that's pretty much the, uh, the run through of ELO and, you know, Post so, you heard the best, now hear the rest. Yeah, so, okay. So Jeff Lynn is still touring. Yeah, he was going to tour, he was going to tour in 2020, and then that kind of went away. So do you, do you think um, in, a, in a perfect world where you, you're feeling safe going to live shows again, and ELO comes and the tickets are something you can afford, would, would you go? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Would you go? So, I would, I will too. If it, okay. if it happens, I think this is a pact we've made okay. publicly now. Yeah. Um, to see ELO, I am debating seeing King Crimson at the Greek, but I'm also like, it's too, so- it feels too soon. When is that? It's in like September, and I'm like, what if so you, everything yeah. gets worse again? Right. Like, We're talking about I've, yeah, the tickets I've bought for concerts are all for next spring. Cause I'm, I'm like, truly. I gonna, yeah, I was gonna ask, like, have you, you haven't been back here, right? I like, haven't. I bought some tickets. Like, I had six concerts canceled that I had tickets for before everything started getting canceled in last March, and I've so these still are even. The, these are the postponed days now. Well, I don't. Well, so all of them got canceled except Wilco, mm-hmm. which has still. It still just says postponed to a later date. And I'm like, you know what? Jeff Tweedy, give me my money back. <laughs> <laughs> but um, these are all for next spring. So I rebought tickets. Like a lot of them were like, we're back. We're, we're doing it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and but they're all for like next May. And I think maybe one in February. And but mostly next May. And I feel like hopefully by then, maybe <laughs> things will get better but then you look at but then you look at things like you know we live in los angeles and and we have to mask again because there's variants and people and it's like maybe we won't get to rock again and that is the worst feeling it's a really I mean, bad feeling i mean you know foo fighters got their got their thing in like i was looking up shows there's this guy named day glow He's like 21 years old, and he was playing at the, what is he playing? The L Ray, I think? Anyways, totally sold out. I'm like, what? You're like, you're just, you're new on the scene? And I was like, okay, this is how it goes. Um, and, then, and then Sparks announced. Sparks is who I have tickets for in February. Oh, yeah. you're going. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm, I, have some, I have some friends who are coming, like traveling to LA to see that show. And I was like, all right, I'll go see you guys. Oh, okay, so you bought that when earlier or well, like a week ago maybe oh okay i didn't i didn't realize that they were because like i saw the announcement on pitchfork like sparks is um announced their tour i was like cool and then i look at the poster and la is all sold out two dates sold out sold out yeah uh, it was 
somebody, one of the friends who's flying in had the pre-sale code. That's the only reason I got to take it, pretty much. Um, I see them. I saw them in 2014 for the, it was a, what was it called? Two mouths, one hand tour. Oh, how was, how was that? It was amazing. It was probably... I feel like, Almost like the be- I think it might be like the best concert I've been to just because it's so elemental. And it was, it was just so exciting to see Sparks. Um, you're, you're one of the few people I know who knew who Sparks were before this documentary. I knew who Sparks were. I have a few of their albums. But um, it, it's been interesting seeing a lot of like film people suddenly get into this band. That I'm like, okay, they've been cool for a while. Like, where yeah. have you been? <laughs> but, you know, it's also, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a hipster. I want to be like, you know what? I'm welcome to the fold. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm you know? happy. Like, welcome to the fold. Yeah. Welcome to them selling out. I don't know. There's a lot to listen to. <laughs> I was like, oh, we should do a Sparks episode. But then, like, you know, he was watching a documentary as well. Um, it's a great documentary. Um, but, no, I first, heard, I first heard of Sparks in high school. I was listening to In the Street. Um, yeah. yeah, and then, so then little Beethoven had just come out. Um, so I've always, yeah, I've always kind of followed Sparks. Um, but it was I, a great I concert. I discovered Sparks via the Valley Girl soundtrack. Mm. I have a song on that, and that's that's how I found them. Yeah, um, or, or like, yeah, they have, I think they appeared in the movie Roller Coaster. Um, I don't, that, I don't know that I've seen, I don't think I've seen Roller Coaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, at the show, it was, you know, because they're from LA. Um, yeah. And, you know, in 2014, it was like, there's, they're still on the up, you know, 50, 45 years later. Um, but, you know, um, Ron or Russell, you know, he addressed the crowd. He's like, you know, we're from LA and we're so grateful that you guys are here and that you guys came out, you know? Cause so like, that's what I mean, that's what's great about, that's great about Spark is like, they're really humble. You can tell like they were really happy that LA was, <laughs> their hometown was still, you know, there to embrace them, especially yeah. now. Um, are you going on the first night or second night for Sparks? Um. I actually don't remember. I, I put it in my calendar. I'm so excited. hopefully I'll go when I go, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I wasn't originally planning to go because I don't particularly like that that venue. But um, then my friends were like, "We're flying in. You have to go." And I'm like, "Okay, that's that's a compelling." Yeah, argument. where do you fly um, in from? One is coming from Miami, and one is coming from Colorado. So that's amazing. Kind of far, I, yeah, yeah. I, you know. That's about far as far as you can get. I have flown across the country to see Springsteen, so I get it. Mm-hmm. I have done it. Um, I don't know that I. No offense, Sparks Brothers. I don't know that I would do it for the Sparks Brothers, but you know, you know, yeah. I love, I love to see the passion. Um, was do you remember what your last concert was before you know concerts? Oh, yeah, it was uh, Courtney Barnett at oh, the wow. at the Greek, um, the outdoor one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Stephen Malkmus of Pavement, um, he was the opener. And I think there may be someone else before that. I got, so I got the tickets through, um, uh, through work. They're like, first person to come to my desk. It was that's always that's always fun. Yeah, I like. Um, I'll go over. Yeah, you know, I've already always you know I always liked Courtney Barnett, um, and I was like, that's inter- you know it's interesting that you know Stephen Mock was one. It's it's kind of crazy seeing him as like a fifty five year old guy. I, you know, he's just so eternally nineties to me. Um, yeah, it was just totally. I mean, they're all great. Um, Stephen Mock was shredding, and we were leaving after the show, and then this kid in his car he drives up next to us. He's all like. Who was that first guy? <laughs> I was like, oh, oh Stephen Malkmus. He's like, whoa, yeah. I, you know, obviously he was there for Courtney Barnett, um, but yeah, seeing this uh, elder statesman guitar god, you know, blew his mind. I'm like, yeah, listen to Pavement. Um, so that was that was my last show. That um, sounds really good. That's a great venue. The last show I saw at the Greek, so not the last show before concerts shut down, but the last show I saw at the Greek was um, the last night of Tom York. And it was mm. um, the day before Halloween, and it was so cold. I did not bring a sweatshirt. I like literally froze listening to Tommy York, and it was okay. it was good. It was such a good show that like it's fine that I almost froze to death. Um, and it was the last show of the season. 
I don't know why they pushed the season that late into mm-hmm. October. I guess because they could get Tom York. <laughs> like, might as well let people freeze for Tom York. Um, Don't do it. It was it was good. I I would I would do it again. I would freeze again for Tom York. Um, but the last show I saw before everything shut down was um, Dashboard Confessional. Ooh. 20th anniversary. Oh, yeah. How was that? It was, it I was never. Of, I never got into them. Oh my god! It was a bunch of thirty-five-year-olds like singing like we were fifteen. It was very emotional. Um, not the show I would have gone out on if I'd known. Right. I actually had tickets to see Third Eye Blind, and I was, I was gonna see them. I'd seen them twice before, but I was gonna see them, and then like I was supposed to go to South by, so I was gonna have to sell the ticket. But then South by got canceled, so I was like, because of COVID. So I was like, oh great, I'll see Third Eye Blind, <laughs> and then and then um. They were like, we're canceling this show because we don't want to kill people. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> I think that was, I, yeah, that I was definitely. Risk, I was going to risk it. I'm, that was definitely the first time for me was South by Southwest. Um, canceling, like, ooh, this is. This is yeah, I was, I was in a meeting at my previous job where we decided to pull out of the festival. And that's how the festival basically shuttered like we were the first one out and then from there it just was a house of cards yeah, so it was literally it was one of those like minute where you know you're experiencing a historical moment because i was in the meeting where the decision was made and i was like shit this is this decision's getting made at this company and it's going to affect the entire uh festival and then that's going to affect everything going forward it was I actually would rather have not been in that meeting, to be honest. It was just a horrible <laughs> you think about thing it. to witness. You know? awful, well, yeah. Even when it was happening, it was awful because I was like, oh, God, this is, this is nothing's going to, it's all going to, you know, because at that point I was still sort of, I was planning to see Third Eye Blind. You know what I mean? I was like, mm-hmm. everything, I was, I was just like, my head was in the sand and my head was no longer in the sand. <laughs> I was actually on a cruise when it all went down. Oh, no. Yeah. I, yeah, I was getting increasingly nervous. I was like, dude, I like all my friends. I was like, I don't know, dude, I don't want to. Um, I was trying to get a refund, but like, oh, it's too late <laughs> at that point. And so we were on, you know, when you're on a cruise, you know, there's no internet, but they set it up. They let you get New York Times for free just because, you know, things were really just shutting down that week. And, yeah. so, and people were like, oh, we don't, we don't want to know. We're here on vacation. And I'm like, I think the world's going to be very different when we come back. Like, you guys need to pay attention. Yeah. And I was scared. Uh, I'd be like, I was terrified being like quarantined on a cruise ship. Oh, no. So we were, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, we were like, we were like one of the last boats to get back to Florida. And then <laughs> I just flew back home from there. That's, that's nuts. I, I went on a trip in February to Palm Springs. And it was just starting to sort of bubble. And I was definitely still texting my, like, group chat, like, don't text anything about this. It's just the flu. Leave me alone. I'm trying to decompress. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, you, you know, I get back and, and, like, it's two weeks later is when South by was canceled and everything. And I was like, wow, I guess I got that vacation in at the last. <laughs> <laughs> just under the wire. Um, but also lucky that I didn't get sick, right? Because, like, I was also at Sundance and a lot of people – Got sick. sick and a lot mm-hmm. of people like they they can't quite prove it but they're they're pretty sure pretty sure at this point that like a lot of the, the extra illness people were getting was actually covid and i'm like well that was a couple of near misses mm-hmm. <laughs> left and right um but i i'm like itching to get back to concerts so much but i'm also you know like a, the movie's I feel like less and less people are going to movies. I've been to a few now and even ones that don't have restrictions, there aren't that many people going. I feel like Mm -hmm. movie going, there are people who are excited to get back to movies, but the general public, not so much. But to your point about that concert selling out, I think more people are still stoked to go to concerts. And that is a bit scary because it's like, I don't know that, I don't know that's going to be safe. Yeah. And, and even even if they do find ways to make it safe, it's not going to be as fun because, like, you know, the some of the best concerts I've been to are ones where I'm, like, crammed, exactly. crammed next You're to people, in... sweating, and I have, like, seven people sweat on my body. And, yeah. like, that's not sanitary. <laughs> no, deep in, like, the mosh pit and all that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I want that. And I don't know – I don't even know if we'll ever get there again. And that's a 
really scary thought. Yeah. Well, they'll definitely be moshing at the Spark show for sure. <laughs> yeah, at the Disney concert. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you for, for chatting and um, thank you for having me on. Teaching me about these like Jeff Lynn side projects that now I have to listen to and figure out if I how I feel about them. And the orchestra, which is not even Jeff Lynn. Um, and I had no idea that even existed. So that's delightful. Um, and for listeners, I have no idea who my next guest is because I keep scheduling people and then things keep happening. Um, so it could be anybody who knows, um, so just like, like a prog show, you don't know no, what's no, coming go. yeah. and you, you just got to go with it. So whoever the next guest is, is who the next guest is. And I guarantee you, you'll enjoy it. Um, and as always, you know, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, listen to the old episodes, send them to your grandma. I don't know. And, um, just, you know, rock on. You know what you should call this episode? You should call it hmm. ELO Part 2. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is what I'm going to call it All now right. that you've said that. Um, again, thank you so much. And um, thank have you. a good, good day, everybody, or t- whatever time it is, wherever you are. I don't know. Who knows? Have a good time. Bye. <laughs>